invite you to open with me this morning to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. We're going to be studying the entire chapter together this morning. And I'm going to get into the text of Scripture pretty quickly, so you be quick, finding Acts chapter 14. Uh, but before I do that, uh, let me just say to you how grateful I am for the weekend away that Sharia and our, our family got to have last week. Um, yes, I keep it quiet when I'm going to be away. Um, we, we try to do a favor to whoever's preaching in my place to keep it quiet. But what I heard was somehow the word got out because nobody showed up to church last week. Uh, I got text. Uh, yeah, look at Marsha over there. Yeah, Marsha says, I was here. But, uh, but yeah, they're like, where's everybody at? So, but I'm glad you're back with us this morning. I do appreciate the weekend away, the, the time of rest for my family and I. We really needed that. And, uh, but I am looking forward to spending this time with you in the Word of God once again, picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 14. Again, I want to get into this chapter quickly. I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter to you, and you can remain seated throughout this time. I'm just going to walk you through chapter 14. These verses are going to be on the screen, and you'll be able to see these as I walk you through uh, these various passages of Scripture. But, but I, want to, I want you to see kind of the high points of this chapter. Uh, Acts 14, it, it covers the last part of Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. And it moves quick. Acts moves quickly. And it can seem like, well, this all happened in a compressed amount of time. But really, it took many months for them to make all of these travels, going to these different places. And so some things happened along the way. And I want you to see everything that they encounter. First of all, I want you to look at the second verse of Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 and verse 2. Look at this with me. It says, but the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, unbelieving Jews, they're, they're stirring things up. It says they stirred up the Gentiles. Well, uh, I know we've covered this a couple of times, but I want to make sure you get this because it comes up again and again in Acts. You have really a couple of different groups of people that Paul is ministering to. Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, very simple. You ready? They're non-Jews. It's a pretty straightforward definition, right? So, in other words, think of them this way. They really don't have a religious background. So they, they don't come to the table with any understanding sometimes of who God is, uh, certainly of who Jesus is. Um, and, and the Jews, they bring some kind of theological understanding to when they're hearing the preaching of God's word. And it says here that the religious people stirred up the non-religious people or those not knowing the gospel, and it says they poisoned their minds against them. That word poison there is kind of like gossip. That's what's happening in the church here, is they're gossiping about Paul and Barnabas as they're on mission, and it seems like things aren't going well. Now, look down at verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6, rather. Again, these are going to be on the screen in front of you, but look into the scriptures with me. It says, but the people of the city were divided. Make note of that. And some of them sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and they fled. All right, so things are getting pretty rough for Paul and Barnabas in this first stop on their missionary journey. Not only have there, there's been some things said about them that were untrue, but also it says that there was persecution mounting. For them. And this word stone, don't miss what's happening here. This is a kind of a, 
a hit out for their lives. I mean, literally, their lives were being threatened in this place. Now, skip all the way down to verse 19 of chapter 4. Again, things continue to mount. Things continue to escalate. And it says, Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. Now, this gets serious here. Along the way, Paul and Barnabas have stopped at these various cities that are mentioned. You remember Antioch, and, and then Iconium is the, the first place they had went in chapter 14. But what's interesting, and don't miss this, it says that the Jews traveled from those places to where they were ministering. Well, if you look closely, this was about an 18-mile journey by foot, right? They didn't have the interstate to travel on. They had traveled for perhaps days just to get there and stone Paul, right? This is a horrible situation. Things are not going well, it would seem. It even says he was left for dead. That means that by all appearances, he was dead. Things weren't looking good. All of this sets up the irony that I want to make sure you get in verses 26 and 27. Again, it's going to be on the screen, but I want you to see it in the text of Scripture. By the time we get here, the journey has come full circle. By the time we get here, they have returned back to where they were sent from, to that church that had sent them, the church at Antioch. And they came back to tell them all that had been happening. And I want you to listen to what they say. It says, from there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Verse 27. After they arrived and they gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them. And that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It seems as though Paul had been sleeping along the way, doesn't it? I mean, if, if we looked at everything that had happened, it looked really bad. I mean, he had been stoned. He had had a, a hit output for his life. And, and, and he, had, he had been gossiped about and slandered and, and, and had to run for his life along the way. And it seems like... The door was anything but opened for gospel witness, right? It, it seems as though the door had been slammed shut and locked behind them. And yet, Paul and Barnabas tell the church, hey, God's been good. And, and, hey, hey, guess what? God's still in control. Oh, and by the way, there's a great door of ministry opened before us to minister to the the Gentiles, the, the non-religious people, those who don't know Jesus, those who, who may not be like us. Here, here's the point I want you to get, and this, let this guide our time together. Listen, when God's people persevere, he opens doors for gospel advancement. When God's people stick with it, he begins to open doors for ministry that were otherwise closed. Now, it may not look like it's opened at, at times. It may look like it's being slammed in our faces. It may look like we're not advancing the kingdom at all. But God, along the way, is maybe doing a work that we need to trust in, that we need to hold on to, and we can see God moving among us. Before we walk through this chapter more carefully, I invite you to join me 
in prayer for the rest of our time together. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. God, we are so grateful. I am so grateful for the way this word has ministered to my heart, how it's encouraged me. And God, I pray that you will use our time together this morning in your word to encourage us and to challenge us, Lord, to, to push us to persevere in great gospel witness. Lord, there is no doubt a door open before us here in the heart of this city. We know and love is Cave Spring. God, I pray that you will use this word to push us onward. By the power of your spirit, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to consider three ways that God uses the perseverance of the missionaries in this chapter. And I believe that God can use our perseverance in similar ways. In other words, God can use our perseverance to open the doors of ministry to those who may not be like us, they may not look like us, they may not have the same understanding as us, but if we persevere, God's going to open some doors. First, consider this. Our perseverance can bring clarity in the midst of confusion. Our perseverance can bring clarity in the midst of confusion. Now, it's easy for us, I think you would agree, to get distracted in the Christian mission, to, to have some sort of ADD when it comes to being on mission for God, right? We, we see other shiny things around us. We get distracted from what God has called us to. We can get distracted sometimes by good things and then oftentimes through bad things. But listen, when we encounter confusing situations, we can lose sight of what God has created and commissioned us to do. And that is why we need a few things. First of all, gospel need must be our focus. We, we got to maintain a laser focus on the need of the gospel in the lives of people around us. I want to show you this in verse 1. Look at that with me. It says, In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual. Now, Iconium was a large city. And they went to the synagogue first, it says. But what's interesting there is it says they did this as usual. And the reason it says that is this is the way Paul and Barnabas had begun every activity of ministry before, right? They went to the religious people first. They went to the people who had some kind of religious background first. But, but here's what's interesting about that. We look back at chapter 13 and verse 14. We find there that the missionaries went to the synagogue as well. But what's even more interesting is what we find down in verse 45. I want you to look at that with me. Chapter 13 and verse 45. It says, after this is, this is after that long sermon from Paul, and it says this, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Now, I want you to understand something. They had just left a situation where they experienced persecution. Right? They had just left the synagogue before. Paul had preached this wonderful sermon. And instead of people saying, amen, hallelujah, instead they were insulting him. It seems as though, I don't know if you're like me, but if that was me, I wouldn't want to go back there again, right? I mean, that's the common sense thing to do. Hey, they insulted me the last time I hung out with the church folk. I don't want to go hang out with them again. But instead, 
Paul and Barnabas walk right back into the very situation where they had experienced great difficulty. How did they do this? Gospel need was their focus. They knew that although the Jews might have been religious people, they did not know the true gospel. And therefore, they were willing to go right back into the heat of the fire, right back into a den of lions, it would seem, because they knew these people needed the gospel. But notice this also. If God's going to use our perseverance to bring clarity, grace must be our message. Grace has got to be what we're talking about. I want you to look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 14. It says, but the unbelieving Jews, they, they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. We looked at that a moment ago. Verse 3, so they stayed there a long time and they spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Do you see that? I remember the first time I was reading this to Cherie uh, a couple weeks ago. I was reading through this passage and I was sharing with her some of my, my first thoughts about this. And she says, wait a minute, did it say they were doing signs and wonders? Yeah, it did say that. But that's not the point. Did you catch the point? Right there in verse 3, it says that the Lord was testifying to their message of his grace. You see, they weren't offended by them doing signs and wonders, right? We, we see this happening along the way, right? Signs and wonders simply means they were healing people. God was empowering them to heal those who needed healing. And it, and it was a good thing. This was not something that was offensive. What was offensive here? Their message. Their message of grace. You see, we might miss this as believers, but if we preach grace the way grace is meant to be preached, grace can perhaps be the most offensive message we could ever proclaim, particularly in an American culture. Why is that? It's offensive because it goes against our human nature. See, grace means unmerited favor. It means that God does something for you that you've not earned. Well, we're, we're taught from our earliest years you got to earn your keep, right? you got to make your own way in life. You've got to put things together, and, and you got to work hard, and you only get what you work for. And so when we talk about grace, it's offensive. I want you to see how this plays itself out in a parable that Jesus taught while he was on this earth. In Luke chapter 15, you might remember this being the, the parable of the prodigal son. Well, really, it's the parable of the loving father. Or the gracious father. That's the way I want you to think about it. Here's why. You see, the, the prodigal son, he, he's given this, this inheritance from his dad, and he goes and he squanders it, right? One of them does that. The prodigal goes and squanders it. And then the other one, he's responsible. He stays close at hand. Who is the one who's most upset at the end of that story? It's the son who stuck around. I want to ask you a very hurtful question. We like to think about ourselves being the prodigal. Being the one who has strayed and, and we've squandered, we've lived in sin, and God has welcomed us back into his family. But listen carefully, church folk. Listen carefully, me. We're obviously or most likely not the prodigal now. We're the angry brother, right? Think about it. 
Uh, We're the one who says, wait a minute, they don't deserve that grace. Uh, They don't deserve that mercy. They've done nothing to earn that. Grace, friends, can be the most offensive message we could ever proclaim. Listen, when grace is our message, we may proclaim freedom to those held captive by sin, but we will likely offend those who find this type of grace completely foreign and unfamiliar. Now things escalate as we keep reading into verse 4. Look at what happens there. It says, but the people of the city, they were divided, and some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, to stone them, to kill them, they found out about it and they fled to the surrounding towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. Listen, if we're going to continue to bring clarity to confusing situations, wisdom must be our companion. Wisdom must be our companion. I read it this way earlier in the week. The missionaries were bold, but they weren't stupid. All right? <laughs> Listen, when they heard that they were having their lives threatened, they said, we got to get out of Dodge. And that's okay. Sometimes the greatest witnessing you can do is just staying alive so you can live to tell the tale another day. Paul had a long way to go in his ministry. He knew that. And so he and Barnabas got out of Dodge. And so the challenge for us here is application, though. You know, we have a hard time relating to that. I don't care how bold you are in your Christian witness. Listen, uh, the keyboard um, warriors might slander you on Facebook. Uh, You might have friends that abandon you. You might experience that. But I dare say you've probably not had someone threaten your life because you have trusted Jesus, right, or that you're preaching Jesus. So this is challenging. I don't want you to think that your difficulty is somehow like their difficulty. It's not even close to the same. But here's what they took with them. Look at it there in verse 7. Notice, it's just one verse, a few words. There they continued preaching the gospel. It was the gospel that got them in trouble, right? Even though they changed locations, they kept preaching that same gospel. Clearly, that's what they took with them. And, And church, I would encourage you, take that with you as well. Tim Keller says it this way. I I read this this past week. He's a great pastor up in the north. and He said, the greater the effectiveness of a ministry, the greater the resistance and opposition. Right? That's exactly what they experienced. They were being effective, and yet they were experiencing all this opposition. They could have said, we're not going to do that again. (laughs) But they didn't. They kept preaching. They kept teaching. They kept talking about grace, and we must as well. So our perseverance can bring clarity to confusing situations, but God can also use our perseverance in other ways. Secondly, our perseverance demonstrates our love for the gospel. we got to love the gospel. I want you to look at verses 8 through 13 with me. I'm just going to read this to you. They, they go to the next location. It says, In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, and he never walked. He had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and he began to walk around. 
When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, he brought the bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. Things can turn on a dime in ministry. You see that? I mean, imagine if you're Paul and Barnabas. They had went from this place running for their lives, and suddenly they're in this new location, and they're being worshipped as if they're gods. Uh, uh, my goodness, we have to persevere through all the ups and downs of ministry, the highs and the lows of ministry and mission. We do this by loving the gospel and proclaiming the gospel no matter what season we are in. Listen, even though they were being worshipped here and persecuted before, their message never changed. And I want us to see that together. First, make note of this. When the gospel provides a lens for us to see things appropriately. In other words, you're going to see things the right way whenever you're looking at it through the lens of the gospel. It's as if you, you can't see very well and you put a pair of glasses on. And the first thing is we can rightly see others through the lens of the gospel. See, we, we find the missionaries in a new venue here in Lystra. And I don't want to get bogged down in the geographic details, but the, what I want you to see here is, is Lystra was kind of a small, out-of-the-way place. The place they were in before was the big city. They went to the synagogue. And oftentimes, that's where Paul started his ministry, was in the synagogue among religious people. We talked about that. But when they came to Lystra, this was the first and only place that Paul stopped as a missionary where he didn't go to the synagogue. You say, well, why didn't he go there? Because there probably wasn't one. You see, this place where he was traveling to now, it was... These were kind of, if you study the, the geography of this area, this place was established by the Romans as kind of a military outpost. I mean, these were a ragtag bunch of people. They were pagans. And, and that's why they say to Paul and Barnabas, you're, you're Zeus and you're Hermes, right? They're, they're wanting to worship them as gods. They were the pagans. They had no religious background that would have identified with Paul and Barnabas. They were definitely not Jewish. You see, though, when we rightly understand our surroundings, when we rightly understand the people we're ministering to, we're willing to do something a little bit different, a little bit of something outside the box to reach them. You see, as religious people, it would have been common to go into this place and say, well, there's no church here. There's nobody that will listen to me. I'm getting out of Dodge. But that's not what they did. They stuck around. They ministered. They, they, they let God work through them. I want to encourage you, and you've heard me say this before to us as a church. We have to rightly know our community to minister effectively to our community. We've got to know the cave spring that's not in this room this morning if we're going to minister to them. I'm not talking about the cave spring of generations past. I'm talking about the community that is right outside that door right now. And if you look carefully, you'll see a community that not, is not necessarily that wholesome community where you can kind of leave your screen door unlocked kind of community. You know what I'm talking about? 
That was the Cave Spring of years ago, and we can look longingly at that and say, man, I miss that city. I miss it when Cave Spring was like that. But the Cave Spring we know today is a little different. But that means our work is all the more important. Don't miss that, friends. We got to know our people. We got to know our city. That's what Paul and Barnabas did, and that's what we got to do as well. But secondly, there's a second lens here. We, gotta, we can rightly see ourselves through the lens of the gospel. We can rightly understand who we are if, if we're looking through the lens of the gospel. Look at verses 14 and 15. You see, there was a tension here. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, you got to think, they're like, man, this is a little different. We're not getting stoned. We're being worshipped. Right? They could have said, hey, uh, this is a good deal. We're going to kind of hang out here. Maybe, maybe we got this gospel thing all wrong, and we can somehow make this work hanging out with all these people. But notice what they did in verses 14 and 15. The apostles, Barnabas and Paul, they tore their robes when they heard this. And they, they rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We're people also just like you. And we're proclaiming good news to you. You, you see... The missionaries could have been tempted to, to bask in the praise of men. They, they could have relished in this moment, but instead they were grieved, it says. They tore their robes, which was a common way at that time to, to demonstrate grief, open mourning. We also got to be careful when we are put on a pedestal before others. All of us do. We, we can love the praise of men. We love to be told we're doing a good job. I love when people come to me as the pastor of this church and say, Pastor, that community event the church did, y'all are getting it right. I love that. And, and, and it would be tempting for me as the pastor to kind of bask in that and say, man, I can't wait to tell the church we're doing something right. The challenge here is to push back against that tendency, to recognize that we are called to a task that is perpetually incomplete. In other words, it's never going to be done. Paul and Barnabas knew that. Now take a look at verses 15 through 17. The last way that the, the gospel can be a lens and we can rightly see things. Look at, look at what happens here. Now, again, this is kind of Paul's sermon to the people there. Yes, it's only three verses. That doesn't mean, I told you this a few weeks ago, it doesn't mean that sermons should be just three verses long or take 30 seconds to get out. This is an outline of what he spoke to them. So let me walk you through the sermon first, then I'll give you the outline. He says, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. Again, he rightly saw himself. And we are proclaiming good news to you. That word good news, that's the same word for gospel, by the way. That you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and, fulfilling, and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. You see, church, we can rightly see God through the lens of the gospel. And, and that's what Paul was doing here. When he's preaching to them, he recognizes, you know, I can't jump straight to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? He, they don't know who Jesus is. It would have been a foreign concept to them. He started with what they knew, and he preached a very simple sermon, a very simple defense of who God is, and he started where they were. And, and I want you to see real quick just three things that he taught them 
I, I think Paul preached three-point sermons just like me, okay? And, and so that's what we got. We got three-point sermon right here. Here it is. He taught that God is creator. He taught that God is creator. Verse 15, we see that. He, he talks about God being the one who made the heaven. He made the earth. He made the sea. He made everything in them. And this is actually a quote of Psalm 146, 6, uh, where God is spoken of there by David as the creator. So God's creator. But secondly, he taught that God is sovereign. By now we know this word, right? Sovereign means God is in charge. We see this in verse 16. He says that in past generations, he allowed the nations to go their own way. This would have resonated with this crowd because you see, these were the guys in the military, right? They were the ones who were dispatched into battle. They would have understood that the fate of the nation held in, was held in their hands. Winning the war, so to speak, was in their grip and in their grasp. But Paul says here, hey, God is the one who allows nations to do this or that. God's in charge. But thirdly, he taught that God is good. God's good. We see this in verse 17. He talks about how God provides rain so the crops can grow and their bellies can be filled. Listen, he, he talked about God being good. Now, as we keep reading into verse 19 and 20, we find, I read this to you earlier, where they came there, they stoned Paul, and they drug him out in the streets and left him for dead. I have no doubt that the message they were preaching was encouragement to the missionaries as well. Think about Paul for a moment as he's preaching this message to them. When you're talking about something a lot, and you're trying to encourage others, it's an encouragement to you too as well. When this is always on the tip of your tongue or the front of your mind, it can encourage your heart. So here's the application for us as God's people. Preach the gospel to yourself. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget how good God has been to you. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you preached this gospel to yourself? When is the last time you, reminded, you were reminded that God created you? That, that God created you and he knows you. When's the last time you thought about that? The wonder of that. When we sang this song a minute ago, I believe that God the Father did all of these wonderful things. Guess what? God the Father created you and he knows you. He knows your joy and he knows your sadness. He knows your victory. He knows your defeat. He, he knows you on the mountain and he knows you in the valley. God knows you because he created you. Psalm 139, verses one and two, David writes this, Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. What a wonderful thing for us to consider. What a wonderful thing for Paul to consider as they were hurling stones for, at him and, and threatening his life and he, was, he saw life slipping away. What a wonderful thing to be on the tip of his tongue and in the front of his mind. God, you know me in my hurt because you made me. Guess what? When's the last time you were reminded that God's in control of your circumstances? When's the last time you preached that truth to yourself? God, when's the last time I preached that to myself? Nothing in your life has somehow caught God by surprise. Nothing. No hurt, no pain, no anxiety, no depression, no difficulty. God knows. And none of it has caught him by surprise. Psalm 139 verse 16, David continues to say, Your eyes, they saw me when I was formless. All my days, all my days, 
They were written in your book and they were planned before a single one of them began. What a wonderful reminder. Finally, keep telling yourself that God's good. When you preach that gospel to yourself, know that it's his goodness to you. That you merited, you, you, you didn't deserve his favor. There was nothing in you good, but yet he was good. Be reminded of that. Let's get to this last way. God uses our perseverance. I know time's running short. But listen, our perseverance can finally be encouraging to younger believers. It can be encouraging to younger believers. Look with me at verse 21. It says, after they had preached the gospel in that town and they made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Listen, if you've been listening close, those places sound familiar. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas had just been there. They retraced their steps back to the places of most difficulty. Again, if I'm Paul and I'm hanging out with him and Barnabas, I'm saying, hey dude, (laughs) we just went there. Don't you remember? They, They stoned you and they left you for dead in the street. Why are we going back? Why? They had some work to do. So I want you to see the work that they did when they got there. Notice with me, look at verse 22. They were strengthening the the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, when we are being intentional to strengthen other young believers through our difficulty, listen, they see a realistic picture of suffering. They see a realistic picture picture of suffering. I was talking to a a brand new believer here in our church before the service started. Just last week, he prayed and gave his life to Jesus right here in the office. It was was an incredible, God-ordained moment. I'm sorry, it was two weeks ago. So the very next day, the very next day, we get a text that he has an unexplainable fever. He's horribly sick, and they don't know why. And the first thought that came to my mind is I was like, man, I should have told him about the devil attacking him before he left the room. Guess what? He got laid off from his job the very next day. Right? And he walked through this horrible season of difficulty over the last couple weeks. And the whole time, Shree and I are encouraging this family and saying, listen, listen, God knows. Right? You've given your life to Jesus. This is part of it. Right? There's suffering that happens. Listen, never once did we promise this young believer it's going to be a bed of roses when you give your life to Christ. Younger believers need to know that this Christian life is hard. Who better to tell them in this situation than Paul and Barnabas? Think about it. As he told them it's necessary to suffer, they saw the scars on his face for those stones just a few months earlier had hit him. I have no doubt he, he was weary from traveling by ship to and fro. This was a hard, hard life. And here he was saying to them with a, maybe his voice was a little shaky, It's necessary. It's necessary to suffer, to enter the kingdom of God. But notice this finally. Young believers, they're gonna, they see the necessity of dependence on the Lord. They see that you gotta depend on Jesus. They see that you gotta depend on God. They see that you gotta trust someone apart from yourself, that you're not gonna make it. Look at verse 23. Look what they do. It says, they appointed elders for them in every church and they prayed with fasting and they committed them 
to the Lord in whom they had believed. They prayed over them. Again, imagine Paul's shaky voice there with Barnabas praying over these young believers and saying, Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them so that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. Imagine him praying that with them when he's suffering, when he's hurting, when he's, he tells them, oh, look at what happened to me. But God's been good. And God's going to be good to you as well. You know, knowing the end of the story makes all the difference in our perseverance. When we look at verses 26 and 27, I'm not going to read that to you again. Again, I read this at the start where he said, look at this great door that's been opened. Again, perseverance and opportunity. They persevered, therefore God opened the door. But knowing that is so encouraging to us as well, or it should be. One of my favorite movies of all time is Forrest Gump. Love it. And, and I want you to think back to the beginning of that movie with me. There, there's Forrest, and he's sitting there on that park bench with that sweet lady. And he's, and he's holding that box of chocolates. You remember what he said? I'm not going to reenact this, but he says, Mom always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get. Now what becomes obvious to us in a few scenes later, is this is the end of the story for Forrest. Right? He, he's sitting on this park bench. He's well-dressed. He's holding this box of chocolates. He's talking with a calmness and a soothing in his voice that even soothes me when I hear it. It's the end of the story for Forrest. And he starts to retell everything. And as his story unfolds, you, you see he gets shot in war, right? He, he sees his best friend Bubba die in his arms, he experiences, remember, they're, they're chasing him at, at his, in, his, in his youngest years. He's got the braces on his legs, and, and they that truck, it's a horrible scene, right? It still petrifies me because I was always slow as a kid. This truck's chasing him down, and they're hurling rocks at him. All these horrible things that Forrest experienced, but what he says is, life is like a box of chocolates. You just don't know what you're going to get. Christian, can I tell you for just a moment? You know the end of the story. You know it. You know that God's got you. You know that, that he is the author of your story. So just trust him. God help me to trust him. Lean into that. Let us persevere together. Let's stay on mission together. And I guarantee you, based on the authority of this very word of God, he will continue to open doors of witness before us.